Welcome to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast, where we support your quest for a happier, healthier, planet-friendly life that supports you, your family, and community. We share local information, resources, and support, and opportunities to volunteer for projects that help clean, protect, and repair the environment. This episode is a bonus episode from another show. It includes an interview of a Northern Nevadan local who is taking green action through their vocation, volunteer work, or hobby. These stories are interesting and informational and are a great way to get to know our local community better. So today on our podcast, we're speaking with someone who moved from her hometown in the Midwest to Reno, Nevada to participate in the AmeriCorps program. After completing her term, she decided to stay in that community and start a garden education nonprofit. We are talking with Josie Glassberg. The name of the nonprofit that she started is Urban Roots, where she worked with others to transform an old motel property and turn it into a bustling farm complete with gardens, bees, chickens, and energetic young minds. This farm served as the primary location for a farm school, a homeschool program, and a farm seasonal day camp. She also joined up with a Northern Nevada permaculture group where she became the lead organizer for many years. She now works as a Montessori gardening and art teacher, as a garden specialist, and as a freelance writer. Welcome, Josie. Hi, Jenny. We're so excited to speak with you and find out more about your path of green action and community service in the Northern Nevada area. So what planted the seeds originally for you to want to start taking some green action? Yeah, I think originally it was probably just my childhood growing up in a family that liked to be outside, I would attribute it to, I think. My mom was a gardener. My sister and I would just be outside every day. And so I, I kind of feel like the, the foundation was laid in a, that pretty like mundane way, you know, just being outside, learning to love being outside. And then in, in college, I think, I think that's maybe when the, the focus became a little more obvious to me. Um, I had a really, really great environmental biology teacher named Jean Bacco, who would regularly take us out on the natural lands. I eventually became a natural lands intern for a summer there and and then went to, to Ecuador to study terrace farming while I was in college as well. So um, I felt like that, that kind of led me down the path. I was a bit split in college between art and the farming stuff that I was doing. And I kind of just picked a path. So, but you know, when you pick a path, you can, you can circle back, which I've done. So your time in Ecuador, I just like to ask a little bit about that before we go on. So what was that? um, What was that like? So it was with an NGO called um, Fundacion Brethren Unida, and they had uh, four sites around Ecuador where people could come and um, just learn the various aspects of not just sustainable farming, but regenerative farming that was beneficial for the community as well. And so I, I did a training there and I was placed with a host family in this um, little town called El Pariso in the Andes. And it was funny because I went there wanting to learn more about terrace farming, which I did everybody in this town has a, a, a terrace farm on a hillside, a hillside farm, and um, where they're growing just like this polyculture of crops. But still, in order to make money, 
a lot of people would work at this tree, tree tomato plantation, which was just up the mountain. And it was just a monoculture of, of tree tomatoes, heavily sprayed. So even though there was this amazing diversity of crops that um, you know they all had on their hillside farms, in order to be economically viable, you know, they, they still had to go and participate in this other kind of economy. And I think that, I mean, I think that was just a good example of how, you know, there, there's a gap in a lot of ways with, um, with agriculture. And that was kind of my first look at it, a personal level. So at some point you joined the AmeriCorps program. So what did you like about it? What was interesting for you with that? I joined AmeriCorps after working in Minnesota at this environmental learning center. And I felt like what I liked about it was something that was kind of serendipitous. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people have different experiences with AmeriCorps and a lot of it depends on having a great host organization, which I did. That was, that was what I liked about AmeriCorps was that my host organization was Sierra Nevada Journeys. Um, and of course, they're still around here in Reno. They do outdoor and science education. And in particular, my, my boss at the time, Jonathan Mueller, he was incredibly encouraging of AmeriCorps members to not only be there to build the infrastructure of the organization they were with, but also to kind of like flex a little bit and see, you know, what is it, what is it that they want to try? What is it, what skills do they want to work on? Um, you know, you want to learn grant writing, write a grant. You know, if you want to learn how to build a program, build a program. So um, he, he gave us a lot of freedom and support in, in that way. So that what I liked about AmeriCorps was that I got lucky and I got placed with Sierra Nevada Journeys. <laughs> so even though you're living like below poverty level, you, you still, <laughs> you're at a point in your life, a lot of people who do AmeriCorps where you, you're able to do that. You know, whether you're young like I was or whether you're, you're older and you have additional income that you can um, be able to do something that's not based on making a lot of money. So what made you decide that you wanted to stay in the Reno, Nevada area? Well, I came out here and as soon as I came out west, I knew I wanted to just be out west. I'm from Indiana and went to school in Minnesota and I love the Midwest. But the West just felt like home to me right away. And Reno in particular is a little bit of a hidden gem. You know, we, we kind of have everything here. I just kind of fell in love with it. And I, I also met my, my husband here at the time. So fell in love with him and, and stayed. So that's why, I'm, that's why I'm in Reno. So when you decided to start a nonprofit what helped you in the beginning to kind of get things going and like where what did you envision urban roots to be i in the beginning i envisioned urban roots to be a nonprofit that would help schools to institutionalize gardens into their campuses and their curriculum and i originally visited places like Portland and saw what they were doing there Davis in California and then the edible schoolyard in Berkeley which, which Alice Waters started. And I really, really liked the system that Portland and Davis had because it was kind of baked into, into the schools. So I, I really liked Berkeley as well, but they, at Berkeley, the Edible Schoolyard is 
was heavily, heavily reliant on the Edible Schoolyard as a nonprofit to kind of prop it up. And my idea was more that we would, Urban Roots would design ourselves out of the system and that schools would kind of take on more of the maintenance in ingraining more of the um, the curriculum uh, without so much outside help. So it would be kind of like a, a hand-holding sort of relationship until until they could, you know, have this garden that could sustain itself year after year, teachers that would keep it going year after year and parents. And what it turned out to be a bit more like is, I, I guess, somewhere in between those two models with Edible Schoolyard and with Davis and Portland areas, because here we don't have the same kind of growing season like they do in California and, and also a culture of gardening. So there's a lot more support that's needed from a garden education nonprofit. I mean, add on top of that all of the many, many obligations that, that teachers have already and the fact that parents will kind of cycle out with their kids. And that adds an extra challenge to it that I think that, you know, Urban Roots Now has dealt with in a, a variety of ways and they're doing a very good job. When you say cycle out with their kids, what did you mean by that? Oh, so if you if you have a, a fifth grader and you're a parent that's interested in helping the school garden, you're probably not going to be staying beyond eighth grade if your child graduates. So at what point did you learn about permaculture? Was that during your time in Reno, Nevada? Yeah, I had not heard of permaculture before I moved to Reno, even though it, I mean, it's funny because with sustainable agriculture, a, a lot of people know the, the principles of permaculture and they've, they've been doing the kind of permaculture gardening or broad scale landscaping that doesn't have that language attached to it. And of course, you know, lots of people in, in many countries, um, indigenous peoples have been doing permaculture well, well before the 1970s when. Bill Mollison and David Holmgren invented the term. But for me, it's, it, was, it was really nice to have language and an organizing structure that went with a lot of the practices that I'd been doing already. So I learned about permaculture when I was just involved with the local gardening community here. And then through Neil Bertrando, who was heading up Northern Nevada Permaculture at the time, or Permaculture in Northern Nevada. And we would just get together at the Unitarian Church once a week, and Neil would take out his whiteboard, and he would just go through different lessons. He would just go through different permaculture principles. And I don't know, I was, I was, I was really hooked, partly because I, I love learning about the principles, but also because we did something called work bees, which permaculture in Northern Nevada still does, where you're not just learning the theory, you're getting together and you're, you have a practical application side. So we, you know, we learn about relative location or stacking functions or any of these principles. And then we go and we learn where to place a beehive, or we, we learn all of the, all the functions at all of the levels of a food forest when we plant a food forest at a work bee, for example. So it was that combination of me loving to be a student and then and getting to actually 
take in these principles as practices in, in community too with other people. So in what ways do you find, have you found that working with students in an educational setting with the garden has been inspiring for them to want to care for the earth and to care for nature? Yeah, well, I think I think it all starts with not what you're reading somewhere or, or seeing on a screen. It all starts with what you you're experiencing. And so for kids, um, if you if they don't have the room or maybe their family doesn't have the interest to have a garden at home, or maybe they're not the kind of family who, you know, they're able or they want their kids to go out and play in the woods all the time. It's like a, a garden seems like a really egalitarian, accessible way that every kid should be able to go out and have interaction with nature and have physical contact with soil. And I mean, it's a it's a really natural environment to start asking questions and being curious and without knowing it, developing an actual love, you know, that turns into care, that turns into stewardship, that can turn into advocacy, advocacy and activism. So... Um, with so with my work at Mount View Montessori, it's it's so inspiring to be able to take kids out and see them just get excited about eating sorrel in the garden or picking up worms and just having it be like the highlight of their day. It's it's the highlight of my day. So um, I work a lot with the adolescent age group and at at the at the Montessori school it's called it's called the third plane where they are really developing a sense of um, of identity and how how they fit in the larger community and having a garden and taking care of a garden and being responsible for some of the bigger work in that garden um, really helps them to kind of valorize that role. So excellent. Yeah. So what were some of the hurdles that you faced when you were trying to start Urban Roots? I mean, it must have been quite a task to get all that organized. Yeah, I imagine like any nonprofit, it's a lot of the same kinds of challenges. The the lack of funding, the just amount of time that you have to put into, you know, build something, build something from from scratch, not just a physical place like the farm, but also the the programs and also building building relationships with with schools and with teachers. So, yeah, that I'm the one of the biggest personal challenges for me was almost treating tr- you know, in a in a startup nonprofit a lot of times you're you're working unsustainable hours, you know, and so you're thinking it's like you're thinking about something that you want to put into the world that is sustainable and is regenerative but you're you know you're not treating yourself like soil <laughs> you're not you're not putting things back into into yourself so that i mean personally that was my biggest challenge was was burnout for me i was at one point working like 60 70 hours a week and so by the time i had my daughter i was like i this is not good for me <laughs> we we need to we need to build something that is going to last and we can't bring in new people where this is going to be the same, you know, the same cycles. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's totally individual. I think I appreciate your candor about that because I think anybody who has a passion project can relate. Yeah. So 
how did you get the word out? Did you know enough people in the community? Because Reno, Nevada is not a huge city. So was it easy or was that a challenge? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, the local food community is, is pretty easy to navigate your way around here. And, and back then it was, I was just reliant upon, you know, like building those connections. There were a lot of people in the local food community who um, were, I mean, like, I mean, we literally couldn't have built the organization without without people like um, Yana Vanderhaar, Tom Stilley, Lene Fishbach, who was my first AmeriCorps, and, and my friend back from Minnesota. And so I think I think one of the challenges of, of building an organization like that, you know, with like wrangling all the different relationships in the community is also one of the um, like key points of success is that because there were so many people that built it, everybody had a stake in it, you know? So it, it wasn't, it was resilient. It wasn't going to, if it was going to, if it wasn't going to work, it wasn't because it was just my lack of effort. You know, it was, everybody was in on it together. So what helped you enroll people? Did you, you must've been an excellent communicator in communicating your vision. Yeah. So I guess one, um, initially Urban Roots started as a garden education program within Sierra Nevada Journeys. And so we already had a bit of an incubation space where we we were able to reach out to different schools. We worked with Pine Middle School. Uh, we worked with Coral Academy of Science to start small relationships with classrooms, built, building gardens. And, and so they kind of helped get the word out too. So we were able to be a program before we had to be an organization. And that helped too, because, you know, when you're talking talking about like permaculture, for example, you know, you're looking for small and slow solutions and accepting (laughs) self-regulation and feedback. And so having a smaller feedback loop as a program and starting slower uh, and smaller as a program instead of an organization right out of the gate, I think really, really key and helpful. So again, I'm just, you know, grateful we were able to start like that um, within Sierra Nevada Journeys. Was it challenging to hand urban roots off when you had other leaders kind of take over or how did that work for you? Yeah. So, um, yes. <laughs> and, and also, no, it was, I mean, both things. I was, I was in, incredibly thankful that we found such a great executive director after I, uh, after I stepped down in 2012, uh, Jeff Bryant, we, uh, we're, we've been, we had been interviewing for a while and it was really, really important to us to me and, and everybody on the board that we find the right person. Um, because if you, you know, you're, you're trying to find somebody and you decide to have somebody who is interim, you know, then um, you can spend a lot more time and energy, you know, trying to educate and train, which definitely happened with Jeff, but he, he came in having a lot of nonprofit skills. And so that was as somebody who was coming in and needing to build, build funding and, and be a maintainer. I think that was really, really important that we that we found somebody who who was right for the job. So what were some of the ways that you got to experience some of the rewards of all of your efforts? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Urban Roots has gone so far beyond what I created <laughs> 11 years ago. I mean, in addition to helping schools start school gardens and providing curriculum and, 
in summer camp, they also now under Faith Ross, she's the executive director now um, and has been for, for some time. They have homeschool programs, they have field trips, teacher trainings, so many camps, which I just got an email earlier today that they are still planning to hold those summer camps, um, you know, unless, unless there is some sort of governor order. So that's good to see. And, and now they have a whole virtual wing of their operation where they're having online classes. They have kits that, that they'll mail out. You can also sponsor one of these kits to donate it to somebody. They have online cooking demos. They're, they're really doing an amazing job. I, I think maybe when it hit me was when my daughter went to Urban Roots Camp two summers ago. And, and it was like, oh, we're, you know, we're a customer now. We're a client. <laughs> so, so that was, that was really nice to see. I'm just, I'm just really proud of the work they're doing and the partnership they have with, with Renown, everything that, you know, Faith and her team has, has done. So if your ideas and your experience and your wisdom were all wrapped up in seeds of potential action to give to others, what advice would you give to someone who is considering starting something like you've done? Well, I think I will just steal a Bill Mollison quote. <laughs> he says, the yield of a system is theoretically unlimited um, or only limited by the imagination. So I, I think that that idea of if you can, if you can envision it and you not only envision it, but get other people to buy in on that vision too, then that's, that was kind of the, the key to the success in my experience. So. so as we wrap up, what kind of resource, maybe a book or website or film has been particularly helpful or informative for you? Recently, I would say that there's this film called Inhabit by uh, Kausta um, Botsukara. So it's a it's a great introduction to permaculture. Kausta he takes I think like six or seven different different sites around the United States and shows kind of how people are doing permaculture in um, in urban settings, in rural settings, with with livestock, without livestock, doing like earth moving works, all of these different different ways ways that permaculture looks in, in different parts of the country, whether because the community is different there or because the actual geography and landscape is, which is, I think, one thing that's wonderful about permaculture is it is so necessarily local. Like it has, it has to be very specific to where you are. Um, another, another resource is um, this book called Permaculture and People by Luby McNamara. It's about the, like the community and like the people aspect Side of permaculture. So, I mean, one other thing that is pretty seductive about permaculture is that there's like a built-in storytelling mechanism. You know, you learn how to read the landscape. It has problem solving like any other design system, but then there's this aspect of narrative um, and, and story and relationship with people and the land that this book really goes into. And then a good intro one, I think, would either be Intro to Permaculture by Bill Mollison. It's like a shortened version of his design manual. Or Gaia's Garden by Toby, Toby Hemingway. That's a really great like garden-based sort of accessible book. Would you like people to contact you? Sure. Uh, if you want to contact me on my, I'm back on Instagram. It's Josie Glassy, J-O-S-I-E-G-L-A-S-S-Y. And do you have any last words of wisdom that you would like to share? Stay at home and enjoy the weather outside. Enjoy the spring. Be, be grateful for what your life is. Thank you for listening to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe to this show so we can send you monthly episodes and keep you up to date on opportunities for eco-friendly living in Northern Nevada. 
For now, please take good care of you and yours, stay well, and help us all make this a kinder, healthier, and greener community for all.